All right, today we've got a fun episode. You know, we've seen lots of different gay archetypes, camp, nerd, but today, stud, we're checking out a DILF. We're checking out a DILF, aren't we? We are indeed. We get to see, he's been talked about so very much, but we finally get to see in the flesh Nathan's dad. Yeah, and let me tell you, he is certainly a dad I would love to fight. I want to inflict hand-to-hand combat on that man's visage. There's going to be fisticuffs. That's what the F really stands for. <laughs> Hello, Louis. Hello, Zach. How are you doing? Actually, wait a second. Wait a second. No, we're not, we're not playing the intro yet because I just realised, Dad, I'd like to fist. <laughs> Welcome back to Davis on Davis. This is a podcast where we cover all the TV written by Russell T. Davis. And right now, we're six episodes into... No, wait, we're five episodes into Queer as Folk. And we're now going to be reviewing the sixth episode today. Uh, this was released in 1999. So neither of us were alive when it came out. In fact, because it was early 1999, I wasn't even conceived. Oh, okay. That, that's, that was a thought. If this TV show didn't exist, the slight butterfly effect ripples would mean that neither of us would exist either. I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a stretch. You don't know that for certain. Our parents would both probably have kids. It's just they would be very slightly different kids. No, that's true. That's true. Probably even with the same name. I've seen Richard Curtis's About Time. Oh, yeah, that movie. I, I, I know how that works. I've subtitled that movie in my head... The most misogynistic movie marketed towards women. Mm, that's that's like the universe exists in women have zero agency, but that's like cute. I see that. I mean, I I heard of a guy who was obsessed with this film and would make every girl he ever dated watch this film with him, and that was his metric on whether or not a girl's response to that film was his metric of whether or not he would continue to date her. And now that you've said that, that says a lot about that whole scenario <laughs> yeah yeah when you say that to me it, it, it hits different i'm like what does a woman think about agency don't want them to be too enthusiastic there no exactly Ooh. what if women could also time travel nope nope thought police thought police no no no, no. Not it's only match. only only men only men yeah. only men but you know that could be reframed as like a a, a horror movie <laughs> the way that like the invisible man was where like the invisible man suit represents that men have so much power over women's lives or can do even when they're not physically there i had not thought of either of those films in that way anyway we need to stop discussing feminism because we need to get back to our show that's all about men and other men speaking of men have you got up to anything um interesting this week louis uh i watched the new series of big boys oh oh that's that's very on topic very heartfelt although they they keep intercutting it with like remember this meme from 2014 and then and then later in the series remember this meme from 2015 to really shake it up because that's how time progresses yeah if you want to watch a show that's doing like 80s nostalgia but for 10 years ago uh check it out that's very also if you want a touching story about grief but you know i i (laughs) the memes stick in your head more because well they're memes Mm. What about you? There's a silence here, Louis, where you can ask me if I've done anything exciting this week. I just, I just did. I'm going to leave it in so that it's very clear to everyone that I did ask. What about you? Before you, did you? Yeah, I didn't. Maybe there was there was a technological error where that sound didn't hit my ears. So, did you do anything, or, or, or 
were you just gonna keep talking about other stuff <laughs> i did i watched i went to see the um new mean girls movie which i don't know if that's gonna date this episode of when we recorded it i mean i said big um, boys so you know i was i was going in with the lowest expectations possible because i'd seen reels because i don't have tiktok i'd seen reels i'd seen that short form content basically absolutely slamming the adaptation of the songs marketing and uh, the i've seen long form youtube videos slamming the marketing the fact that no one people refused to acknowledge that it was a musical so i went in with the lowest expectations i went to see it as a joke more than anything and then it ended and the first thing i said was oh my god that was actually really good it was just a lot of fun and i think if you go in with low expectations it's sort of it's not the next mean girls in the sense it's not going to be an enduring classic but for what it was like it had some its camera work during the songs was really enjoyable i thought yeah that's nice on the musical discourse that was also happened with wonka because this is the thing is it's like a trend with multiple movies yes and the color purple but with wonka you know the other charlie and a chocolate factory adaptations uh, are also musicals although my personal favorite the tim burton version what i love about that film is that all the songs are diegetic no one is breaking into song mm. because they're living in a musical where musical rules apply. It's people entering a space where the Oompa Loompas feel free to, to sing about what's going on. And they're sort of subjected to that. They're not whisked up away in it. And I just think that makes it even more camp, I guess. I, I know. I think musicals that attempt to really play with them, the genre of the musical and whether or not the songs are diegetic, like Moulin Rouge does that to an extreme. I, I love that concept. Anyway, let's get into episode six of Queer as Folk, Meet the Parents. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen here. We are probably going to meet some relatives of some people in fact all three main characters this title applies to them even though we have oh no 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 you're right no, so we... this is thing so cameron meets vince's mom yes Stuart meets nathan's dad and obviously Stuart meets his own parents or oh, and we meet Stuart's parents actually i should say yes Stuart has met his parents before he just the viewer meets Stuart's parents exactly yeah. so scene one we open with exactly that happening we're in some sort of... They're playing a song which goes like, horny, horny, <laughs> horny, or something like that. But it, it sounds like Dance the Night Away by oh, Dua Lipa. That, it's got that same sort of BPM. Because we are in sort of a... We're like in a Zumba class, but I checked. Zumba wasn't invented until 2001. So I think it's some kind of jazzercise. I don't know when jazzercise was invented. Okay, what did... No, I think jazzercise was, was like, eight, or at least it popped off in the 80s. Do you know what the word Zumba comes from? Well, it was it was invented by a Colombian man based on Colombian music, I believe. So it's got that, so it's, it's got a Latin American flavor okay. that jazzercise doesn't. It comes from similarity to the word rumba, yeah. so, right. which is Cuban. Right. So we're in some sort of musical dance workout class with a load of middle-aged women and then Stuart appears and talks to one of these women. Now, I originally, um, because the Channel 4 streaming service doesn't have titles, I wasn't clued into the fact that we were going to be meeting all these parents. So I originally, because, you know, I, dealing with this like 420p camera quality from the late 90s, I thought it was Romy. Um, and I thought, ah, that's Romy. And I wrote down the word Romy, so proud of myself um, that I knew a name of a character. And it's actually not. It is, in fact, Stuart's mother in this class. And we know straight away, um, because when Stuart asks her, would you like a glass of orange juice? He says, yes, 
with vodka. Yes. He's got to get it from somewhere. They then, they pop out of the class and we, and we hear from their dialogue that Stuart's dad has decided to file for divorce. And they talk very quickly. Um, and there's a great, it's a great bit of dialogue because you've sort of got this sort of plot movement with, uh, your father wants a divorce. I'm going to get a nice little flat in Hale. Uh, Hale being a very, um, posh place in Cheshire where, rich people go to live there's a lot of manchester united footballers who live in hale and in between all that there's also her saying where did you get that shirt so is, is hale like wag country prime wag country you know um you know the real housewives of cheshire uh i do now for those for fans of the real housewives the british version of the real housewives of cheshire some of them live in hale which is in cheshire prime wag country indeed okay so we get some it's a lovely bit of dialogue um, the one thing that sort of made me ponder more than it should, because we learn straight away that Stuart is not out to his parents, or at least we're, we're questioning this at this point, because she thinks that post-divorce, she'll go to all the singles bars with her son. Yeah, and she thinks that's where he must go. Exactly, exactly. But it made me question, okay, conceptually i know what a singles bar is because obviously it's a i mean i also googled it just to double check this as google will put it a place where single people would go to find romantic or sexual partners um but actually like what is that is that just sort of this unspoken social rule of that's a really good bar to pick people up or did people did do places advertise themselves as single bars because it's not an actual phenomenon that I'm familiar with in real life. I mean, I don't know. I've, I, I've don't really, I'm not really familiar with it either. I'm just imagining a traffic light party for people who dress like Stuart. <laughs> who wear eight pound shirts. Cause she, she comments on how he's dressing, you know, yeah, his, exactly. his, his shirt is expensive and yeah. all that. Yeah. And he's just so not, we get so many hints in this episode as just to how wealthy Stuart is. Like I noticed for the very first time in his apartment, he has a vending machine. He has an actual fully functioning vending machine in his living room. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. He has, he has a vending machine with crisps in the background of his of his flat. How mad is that? That's sick. Wow. I find interesting that Stuart is tur- is turning out to be is proving to be very wealthy. You know, he's got most. I find that interesting contrast to something like the ballroom scene, which was all about dressing up super stylish for not too much money for actually very much flaunting your ability to, you know, look like you have a most stunning outfit and not have spent a lot of money on it because of, like, thrifting and stuff. And um, Stuart can just spend too much money on a shirt, you know. It's a lot, it's, it, it saves time, I guess. So we also find out what Vince is up to, well, um, in this episode. And he is at work in the supermarket and his colleague, Rosalie, see, I'm I'm on it with these names now. I know who everyone is now. Rosalie, she's bloody persistent. She is asking questions about Vince's new girlfriend, um, and I'm doing air quotes with my fingers. She's asking question after question. You know, what's she like? Are you still with her? And he is so disinterested, and he just says, Rosalie, I'm with a customer. No, yeah, he he's letting her catch strays <laughs> for being too interested in his life it's a bit it's a bit cruel but also you're thinking what what else can he do uh when he's uh trapped in that closet (laughs) he's in bloody narnia right now he's in narnia but 
in plain sight. That's right. It's more like a fantasy world where the fantasy gets overlaid over the top of our existing world. It's like he has these special goggles that he can see the fantasy world. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm leaning well, I'm leaning far too into it now. The giggles. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's going on the social media. Okay, he's got the glasses from They Live. Yes, he's got the glasses from They Live where you put them on and all the billboards turn into the word obey. But instead it said all the billboards turn into so gay. So Wow, I didn't get that cultural reference, but thank you. It's, I, I believe it's a David Cronenberg movie. Oh, okay. Okay. That explains. That is- yeah. They live... Uh, no, John Carpenter. Easy to get them mixed up, because obviously John Carpenter did the thing. Like Angela Bassett. Sorry. 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 This is all leading up to the fact that when Vince turns around 180 degrees after saying to Rosalie, I'm with a customer, Cameron is right there, and they talk about club card points and what benefits you can get... And naturally, one of the benefits is a good fuck in your car. They do really good delivery. This is the bit that made me think that when I mentioned last episode that Vince works at a Tesco because they're talking about club cards, but it could just be a club card. Well, yes, that, but that's the thing is, um, is, is club card trademarked or does this confirm it's a Tesco? Exactly. The club card was introduced in 1995. It was a thing, whether or not they were so synonymous. And then in the midst of this conversation, this made me laugh unbelievably. But Stuart's assistant is there with the phone, giving it to Vince. Like, this woman is everywhere. What kind of salary is she on? She can just magic herself into all these places, wherever Vince is, to get him on the phone. Yes. She's some kind of wizard she makes it very clear that Stuart didn't buy it she she doesn't want to be doing Stuart too much of a favor so she's like he didn't buy it it's on insurance if he tells you he bought you a new phone (laughs) and Stuart's on the phone that's why Stuart's assistant is there and he says that Stuart student night at paradise and it's about time that he had an educated shag because you remember as I pointed out in our very first episode Nathan was too young to have done his GCSEs yes it's good to think, though, people like you and me, Louis. I mean, you you have an undergrad degree and a master's degree. I have an undergrad degree and halfway through a master's degree. Yeah, it's good. It's nice to think that we we would be educated shacks. That's a title that I I would be quite proud of. No, yeah, you can whisper to them about some nerd shit, but now it's academic nerd shit instead of pop culture nerd shit, or in my case, transport nerd <laughs> shit. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean, you have a you have a maths degree, so you could do the whole if a train leaves the station at twelve forty three, but it's a insert train model here. What's the probability that it will arrive on time? I think the probability of how it, whether a train would rely on would arrive on time, you'd probably need to look at the um, all the sets of points it passes through, all the signalling, uh, how many other trains are on the network. What's the chance of any one train? getting like a small delay that send court compounds into a bigger delay over time. Uh, it's basically creating a stochastic model, which uh, if you know how to do stochastic models, you know, there are people who pay you a lot of money. That's not a bit of maths I'm very good at. So I'm stuck here doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So Im- Im- immediately after um, the call, we-, we cut straight to like after the night is over and Stuart is, is so pissed. And, this it this starts off a thing that we see, or mm. well, actually, I think it was also the case last episode. It continues the trend that 
Stuart is drinking more, or at least is is not holding his liquor quite so well. He's he seems to right now be going out to get absolutely pissed. His life is is taking a bit of a dive. He's sort of you know he's like financially he's fine, but you feel like socially he doesn't have control over those people in his life, his friends and family, and it's getting to him. What do you think is the um, inciting factor of this? The thing that flashes foremost in my mind is the presence of Cameron. Yeah. No, yeah, I think it would be that. I think it would be that. And now that his parents are getting a divorce, also, it's the fact that these two things, which are quite... uh, They seem to stay the same, they never change, and he can view himself as more interesting than Vince and more interesting than his parents. And now they're getting up to stuff and it doesn't really concern him directly. And so now he's feeling Mm. like his life is the stagnant one because all the hookups sort of become a routine. Mm. And 30 is just round the corner from him. Something's crumbling in his psyche there. Yes. So he gets loaded into the car by Vince and Cameron says, you take him home, come around to mine later. And then all of a sudden we hear shouting, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. They've got a knife. They're going to kill me. And it's our wonderful camp queen, Alex. Yes, Alexander is back. He makes a dramatic entrance because why would he do anything else? God, it's brilliant to see him back. He's he's back from London. He was in Balham with a guy who did chase him with a gun. Balam is, I, I think Balam is one of the more like leafy bits, if I'm recalling correctly. I know I was born in Tooting, so I'm going to just check on a map because my conception of Balam being born in Tooting, which is just south of Balam, is that it's a bit leafier, there's a bit less um, stuff going on, Tooting is a bit more bustling as a suburb. I have no clue, you are just saying names to me at the moment. Yeah, I just I just went on Google Street View in Balham, and yeah, it's 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 a it's a bougie suburb. Nice. Uh, and he was chased around a gun, around there. You know, that'll have woken up the neighbours. But the thing that has made him come back to Manchester, even worse than being chased around with a gun... His job put him on a Saturday shift. You know, who puts a homosexual on a Saturday night shift? He is outraged by it. So he comes running back yes. to Stuart and Vince. See, he he started the anti-work movement. <laughs> if the conditions aren't good, actually, there are other jobs available. Actually, you can find something else. He's a, a union hero. <laughs> you have the bargaining power. He introduced the boyfriend dialectic as a, I've, I've got, I'm sorry, I've just come up with really like over intellectualized la- labels for some of the things that happen in this show. So I really apologize. No, it's good. It's good. Cause this is a, this is a really fun discussion because Vince and Alex are, uh, just like sharing a bed and chatting and he asks him if he thinks Cameron is his boyfriend and to work it out, he does say, you know, do you think about him when you masturbate? And Vince is like, no. And he's like, so he's your boyfriend. That's the metric. I think it's a fantastic metric. We should get it yeah. on a card somewhere. As the host of a show that has confirmed their relationship status, Zach, <laughs> I gotta ask, do you <laughs> Oh god, I feel I I don't it... even want to do it as a bit. No, it it's, feels weird. it's funny, you did it you did it, you did it enough. I wasn't gonna answer. <laughs> what's 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 funny to me is this image of Vince and Alex just sitting up in bed like they're at a sleepover. It's not even, he doesn't even sort of offer the couch or anything. It's like, no, they both will sleep in a double bed together. 
Um, I don't know why that was so funny to me. Like that there, there aren't there aren't these weird boundaries of like sleeping because I when you stay over at someone's house, you you generally don't share a bed unless you know you're going on holiday or you're going to a party and space is limited. And you're like, okay, well I'll I'll sleep in the double bed with this this person. I d- I don't know. Am I weird for that? I don't think you're weird for that, but I think maybe the world is weird for that. Maybe, yeah. It's just nice that they... Something that we saw in episode one, this sort of... This community of friends who aren't weird around each other with things like that. So now, next day, Stuart, he's going to talk to his dad now. He's heard about the divorce from his mum. Now it's time to hear it from his dad. It is a, a classic bit of men having difficulty communicating mm. because they need they need to be doing something with their hands while they chat, you know, talk by themselves. And in this case, it is gardening. And because of um, Stuart's designer clothes, his dad is like, can you garden in those, you know? Stuart is like, yeah, I, I guess I can. And we, we find out from that moment from um, Stuart and his sister Marie um, that he is 100% not out with his parents, which for me... It's episode six, and we are sort of seeing a whole other side to Stuart here. Yeah, he he is, you know, so out and proud, but he just doesn't. He won't tell his parents. I'll just quickly mention now that um, later on we do hear a bit of context that you know when he was like seventeen, his sister threatened to show his magazines to his parents, and he complains about her when he's complaining about other stuff. It's a whole other story as to how he was kind of able to keep her quiet and then Hmm. bury it when it came to his parents. Marie also introduced, I thought this was a really interesting line and you saying about men not being able to talk about their feelings. She says, you know, don't just go and make small talk by chatting, go and actually have a real conversation. A great point. Yeah. Well, they discuss, ultimately it turns out that the divorce isn't happening. No, they're going to Paris instead. Yeah. Stuart's peeved to say the least. And he just, he basically like, was that all it was? Was it just a game this week? I'm seeing how we discussed that divorce dilemma was a contributing factor to Stuart's sort of breakdown, let's call it. He's justifiably angry. I think the reason this subplot exists, and you can tell me what you think about this, is Stuart discusses with his sister his frustration about this. And Marie's just like, well, actually, Stuart's the one that says they're just bored. And Marie says, well, that's that's what happens when you're married for 33 years. And that makes a really good point about the difference between traditional heteronormative monogamy and the hookup culture that um, Stuart thrives in. And this idea that it's it's a world that's so alien to him. And actually, he just sees and he just sees the negatives of and distance himself so much that we get this really clever juxtaposition because the first time i watched this episode i was sort of going this drama feels of the the, the divorced parents seem so separate Mm. but now looking back i go okay no i see why that's there so anyway uh on vince's side of the story he's he's introducing cameron to his mum nathan's there um bernard's there kind of this group of characters we've sort of built up I've all settled into the kind of the everyday weirdness of of, of Hazel's uh, household, and in this case, it's it's 
loading or unloading a van oh, I'll, I'll tell you what it is we finally see the fruits of bernie's christmas cracker business and he is loading the completed crackers onto a van to be sold and taken away because i forgot to mention it the last time we saw the christmas crackers but we brought it up the first time to see it i really this is my favorite arc in the show so far that we get to see bernie's business and i just there's just something joyous about the fact that you get this whole community loading up the van oh it's just and, and the little comment of Nathan being lodger number two, and he's he's part of it, and he's the one checking the invoice. Oh, it it made me unreasonably happy. That is so cute, and I actually didn't register it. So it's your favourite, and <laughs> to me, it's not even on the list because I uh, I didn't keep a tight enough track of my inventory. Nathan would be upset. <laughs> but actually, it's Bernie who'd be upset because he's the one that tells. He's educating Nathan in how to run your own business. Yes, what a great guy. Yes, love him. Nice. So then we get to see Cameron actually like chatting to Hazel. And this is nice because because Cameron does have a comedic side to him. Like he's sort of super serious, kind of cynical generally. But he does like to have a, a joke if, if he can. Because this is Britain, they're talking about tea. And Hazel is like, do you want a cup of tea? And he's like, wow, tea bags. That's that's clever. And you think, oh, what do they, does he always use like a loose leaf is like a ball that you dip the loose leaf in. I don't know how he does it, but he tells us how he does it, which is using a koala's scrotum. What? No, it's not a scrotum. I thought he said it was a membrane sack of a newborn koala. Yeah, that's. is that not the scrotum? I thought that was like when a baby is born, the sort of the sack around it from the mother's womb. Oh. But koala scrotum has a ring to it. But <laughs> right, yeah. Some feature of a koala's reproductive process <laughs> is used to suspend tea, le- tea, bah, tea leaves in it. Which, I mean, hey, if you can reuse them, and that's actually, like, pretty sustainable. You know? I mean, not for the koala. No. <laughs> and then Vince is like, you're joking, right? And he's like, yeah. And that's cute. And it's like, okay, so so Cameron is, is loosening up a bit, you know, he's is, is, is relaxing his, uh, his muscles a bit. I will say, there's the moment where he, he sort of, he's doing the bit, and Hazel is... She's confused. She can't tell if he's doing a bit or not. And then he sort of, she goes, you're joking. He goes, yeah. And then he walks away. It's funny, but he's also still a bit awkward. Like I watched that and went, the comedic timing is off slightly versus the the other jokes in the show. And I was like, it still feels on purpose. Like he is, he is a fun guy. Well, because it's a diegetic joke, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But it's still, I feel like he's he's still a little bit awkward. I don't know. He's not. I don't know. I mean, there is, it is still fun. Hazel's such a, a banterous character. Banterous? Is that a word? Banterful character. And so she does hit it off with Cameron, which is nice to see. Um, but Cameron doesn't hit it off with one particular character, does he? Uh, Nathan? Nathan, Nathan. Because uh, Nathan, I mean, I, I, I said last time that I don't hate Nathan. And I, I don't hate him with a passion all that much anymore. But he still is a bit cocky. He's the one to tell Cameron that he's the first boyfriend, which on the one hand, that is a fact. Cameron does ask if Hazel is like this with all of Vince's boyfriends. But, you know, he he, he does get a bit of joy out of out of delivering that information, out of being the one to tell him. But Vince, Vince claims that he's had loads of boyfriends. He's had Simon, Darren and Dominic. And obviously Hazel comes up with reasons as to why they didn't count. So it's up to us whether or not we think that Cameron 
is his first boyfriend. But I think based I on... I think the- Mama knows best. Yes. And the fact that Stuart's losing his like grip on his sanity would also imply that, yes, he's also, he is the first boyfriend. If Stuart's falling off this, this bad, then uh, this is some unprecedented uh, circumstance. So after this, Vince and Cameron decide to take Nathan and Alex shopping. Are they getting something specific or just, you know, getting out of the house? They mention some things, but they've got loads of bags, which seems they're like they're on a, a big shopping trip. And it's nice to see that Nathan has integrated as one of the squads. He's sort of, he doesn't feel out of place anymore. Yeah. Because I remember a couple of episodes ago, you ta- you mentioned, you were like, when I talk about the gang, I do not include Nathan. But actually watching this scene, you're like, oh no, he's part of the gang. Yeah. Also because I think now the gang is being seen in so many contexts outside of Canal Street. Mm. And that wasn't the case earlier on. And so now, you know... Nathan can be in the gang that goes shopping. Uh, Nathan can be in the gang that loads the van. At, in Canal Street, Nathan is still generally with uh, like Donna and Daniel. His his two Ds. But he's always he's always in the same place. He's always there, and you know even we'll see Hazel with Nathan's mum. So you know this is this is where everyone uh, crosses paths in their little groups. But you know in the daytime, yeah, why can't Nathan go go shopping? Then we get. I think one of the best moments in the entire show, just in terms of the the performance, I'll say. Two people are walking, you know, inverse kind of outdoor shopping mall where they are. They're going somewhere, but, you know, they, they sort of eventually are walking past the bench. And the whole time that we see them, Alex is shouting out to them. And as they get closer, they don't acknowledge him. As they move past, they don't acknowledge him. As they get further away afterwards, uh, they don't acknowledge him. And we're like, what the hell is going on here? Because it's such a shift in Alex's mood, in Alex's emotion. And when I said that Alex is amazing as a comedic character and amazing as a more fleshed out character, this is where in this space of a minute, suddenly he gets fleshed out and it feels so like natural and and seamless and not like they're suddenly tacking on some emotional backstory because the the part of him that's sarcastic and joking around with people is the same part of him that gets pissed off at things. And he's really pissed that these people have not acknowledged him because it turns out they're his parents. And the, it's written and directed really well because you've got him... Vince is telling a story about his mum and her buying something and it going wrong. And then we get the shouting out that you've just described. Yeah, it, it, it comes out of nowhere. And then it switches straight back into Alexander finishes the story. And then once the story's finished, he sits with it and then just goes, fuck him, fuck him. And then he walks away. That's just the thing is Alexander clearly wants to switch back to uh, his regular tone because, you know, that's an annoying moment, but he lives in the present. But he can't quite do it and you can see that he's trying to act like that didn't happen because it's you know it's annoying and he wants to uh he knows that his his whole thing is is somewhat of a performance Mm. and so he's trying to get back on script and he can't quite there you go clip that for the promotions (laughs) something i didn't notice the first time i watched this or the second time i watched this it's only now when we're talking about it i realize that this little scene with alexandra on the bench has a parallel in the immediate following scene where we're, it's only a small scene, just as this was a small scene, where we're back in the bar in Canal Street 
and we find out that Hazel has brought Janice to the bar. That's Vince's mum has brought Nathan's mum to the bar, which is, it's really nice to see Hazel and Janice sort of forming their own relationship and Hazel guiding Janice into this new life of what it's like to have a, a, a gay son. And also there's definitely a ploy to sort of bring Nathan back to his, his family life. Um, but Nathan responds and basically saying to, to his mum, you're shaming me, it's shaming. And he goes um, back to Donna and Daniel and says, we're leaving. And as he's leaving, he says, fuck them, just fuck them. Which is exactly what Alex said when he walked away from that bench, having just seen his parents. And I think this is back in Nathan's psyche of he wants to have the sob story. Yeah. He wants to have the parents that hate him and he doesn't, but he keeps framing reality in such a way. I didn't even spot that. You're very good at this, Zach. I gotta say. I should have a podcast. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 genuinely. No, I, that is I've so only true because just noticed that seeing my notes written next to each other. Didn't even pick up on it because I remember thinking they are those, the scenes in this show generally are quite long and, and lo- a lot of things happen in them. And this episode has these much smaller scenes where fewer things happen. And I sat there thinking, what, why do we actually have these scenes? And I think that's why we have these scenes next to each other. So yeah, next day, uh, Nathan is getting bullied at school because they found out that he, he did run away from his mom's house. And they're, they're basically saying, oh, is it because your mom's been sleeping around? You know, they're like, is that why you ran away? Because your mom is a hoe. You know? <laughs> And we get a classic, I slept with your mother, Joe. Yes, exactly. No, exactly. It's And p- perfectly sets up a, by the way, I was one of the men, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people can't write teenagers, but that is exactly how yeah. teenagers speak. No, that is, that is just what it's about. You just have people treating other people's mums as trophies. <laughs> that's the teenage psyche. That's the straight teenage psyche. But then also the gay adult psyche, we also put mothers on pedestals so in a way we also treat them as trophies yeah but in a very different way so once again nathan's bloody guardian angel it seems shows up <laughs> Stuart's here because of course he is not even sure why he's here this time but you know he gets to rescue nathan he's picking nathan up from school and i, I, I why is he picking nathan up from school i d- i do not understand the logic behind that that's my qualm. Look, alfred is a lost cause so he's he's <laughs> gonna try blank slate with with, with with nathan but it's not it's is it a blank it's not a blank slate at all is it and also it's like hmm i can't be bothered with the baby stage the toddler stage the child stage let's just go straight in at 15 yeah let's just go where you can kind of be their friend but you kind of give them advice and you also kind of have control over them. It's perfect. And you can also sleep with them, even though it's not technically legal. <laughs> is that foreshadowing? Maybe. Well, yeah, because immediately when Nathan is in the car, it turns out that Stuart is taking him home. Mm. No, I think the reason he's picking Nathan up is because he's the only person who could convince Nathan to go along with this, you know, because if Vince picked him up and said, I'm taking you home, they would not get to nathan's house simple as only vince can just about convince him to try yeah only Stuart. you mean Stuart? yes yeah nathan can walk all over vince cameron can stand up against him but only sort of to support vince because vince gets walked all over what i'm quite upset i mean i i like the fact that Stuart's trying to fix things with um with nathan nathan does mention that hazel has this like special pizza recipe 
and he he doesn't get to like say what it is and i really want to know what hazel special pizza recipe is i'm guessing that it uses regular bread or not like not like a loaf of bread but like it uses some kind of already existing bread that's circular, right? Or even or even like a ciabatta. <laughs> that's my first guess for her secret pizza recipe. And then um, I'm going to guess that some of the toppings, the toppings are maybe a bit British, a bit Northern cuisine, mm. you know? I'm, I'm trying to think of a funny example of a typical Northern cuisine chopping, but... Uh, yeah, you would have to be the one to do that, yeah. I, I don't know, like um, she puts a jacket potato on her, her pizza. Do, do you eat herring in the North? They, I don't, I've never had herring. They probably do though. I'm just, I'm, I'm literally just going off of what I know. Northern countries eat, you know. Northern countries. Well, yeah, you're on the North Sea. You've got the same, <laughs> you've got the same access to the ocean as, uh, as Norway. So why not have some herring? So whilst they're in the car, <laughs> Stuart tells Nathan part of the reason he's bringing Nathan back to his house is he basically says you don't know how lucky you are to have parents that you can go and just watch telly with, and I do think there's something of. Stuart's psyche and the fact that he is slightly uncomfortable because he did notice what happened last night Mm -hmm. he's made some messes and he wants to clean at least one of them up yeah he wants someone to succeed where he has failed with the relationship with his parents yeah because you've got like the sort of absent relationship that Stuart has with his parents then you've got the actively negative and quite tragic relationship Alex has with his parents and then you've got the somewhat farcical relationship Vince has with his mum where it's like okay maybe she's a bit too enthusiastic but you know we'll allow it and Nathan's relationship with his parents is still malleable Mm. it is at the moment so he wants to set it down the right path Nathan's response to basically being told that he doesn't know how lucky he is um is rather deserving of a slap because he has he puts on his cheeky smirk and says if if I do can I have another shag? And it's like, what right person in their right mind thinks, ooh, watching telly with my parents, that makes me think of having sex with this man I fancy. I think being in a car with a man you fancy makes you think of having sex with him, and everything else is an accessory to that. Probably. He's probably not even listening to anything he's being told. You know, I gotta say, considering that the arc of this podcast now is supposed to be you convincing me Nathan's all right, actually, <laughs> I, d- I don't know how well we're doing with that right now. But, I don't know, maybe this next scene will uh, will change the tables a bit. I mean, I wax and I wane with Nathan. I wax and I wane. Okay. You know, so they have a little goodbye kiss. A little goodbye French kiss. It's it's a little... I was going to say... goodbye parlay de la tongue. It's a a little bit more than a little bit. I said parlay de la tongue. (laughs) Which means speaking in tongues, which is actually not... not, That would make church more exciting. (laughs) I am aware that not all churches do speaking in tongues, but some do. So the joke works. And as they're, as they're kissing and kissing and ki- and still kissing, you get a shot through the, through the back window of something blurry getting bigger. And it turns out that's a car moving towards them. And Stuart's car gets rammed Bang. by what is currently some random bloke. But uh, very quickly turns out that that is Nathan's dad. And he's come back to the house, which is what, because Nathan's dad was not, was not there the whole time, right? Like... Nathan Nathan was living in a single mum environment. Well, we don't. I mean, I thought about this. I presumed. Oh God! Now I'm now I'm questioning it too. Yeah. I presume. I presume we only ever see her, but I think it's just you know the dad might be in a, of a, a way at work. There's no. Yeah, it's just exactly the dad's just kind of long hours, not that concerned about what's going on with his kids. 
until it's something he doesn't like mm. maybe let's let's say welcome to the scene nathan's dad you are now in front of a camera you have now been casted you are now played by an actor <laughs> you know you weren't before he is our Dilf because he causes a massive commotion screaming at Stuart. he's only 15 years old yeah and there's a whole scene then janice comes out and it's like oh calm down he tells her to get back in the house uh, the little sister appears um who we've only ever briefly seen once at the dinner table she's a bit iconic yeah because she picks up a bit of a bit of car that's fallen off and she's like have you seen the car what's nathan done and it's like you know what she's gonna grow up to smash the glass ceiling in the mechanic <laughs> industry good for her and um, what's really funny is so nathan has a very distinctive mancunian accent that nathan's sister also has but neither of the parents really have the same kind of strong accent i found okay i just want to say neither of my parents sound like me but i was born in south london and have lived in brighton since the age of three so that's why i sound like this so i can believe this <laughs> yeah no 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 no. You, you are right i just find it so fascinating that it hadn't occurred to me until nathan's little sister has her her speaking role and she sounds just like nathan it, it's kind of she's she's my everything i want to know where she is now 25 years later yes because she she is older than us in that she exists <laughs> so after this um nathan threatens basically well, not nathan uh, Stuart threatens to call the police um he gets back in his car dry, starts driving away but then reverses um, nathan runs into the car and the pair drive away whilst nathan's dad is stood in the street holding a bit of the uh, the jeep and we go to an ad yeah this is this is an interesting moment for Stuart because he could have kept driving he could have been like this is not my problem i've probably messed this situation up enough but i believe in an interventionist Stuart. you know when we return from the ad break we now hear this story recounted back in the bar and we were talking before about how in canal street nathan isn't a part of the gang but i have here in my notes that he appears to be part of the gang he sat at the table with everyone else and him and Stuart are retelling the story together yes see see Stuart and his dad just need to have more exciting stories to to recall collectively you know (laughs) and that violent father nathan lied about a couple of episodes ago Vince points out that he's now yes actually he is he has manifested that's what I had in my notes too uh, no literally it's literally manifestation it's literally saying something until it becomes true <laughs> without you know doing much to 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 make it happen yeah I can't wait for his um, rent boy arc to uh, to appear then yes I mean I don't want to spoil what happens at the end of the series between series one and series two but we'll see if if that also comes to fruition oh gosh oh, now I'm scared. <laughs> maybe i should maybe i need to go back to hating nathan anyway someone who also hates speaking of hating nathan cameron's at, at the table cameron! as, as part of the gang yes cameron is here and he is not impressed with their story he 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 doesn't like the trivialization of serious emotional drama that russell c davis has written <laughs> for us you know <laughs> he's he's a, he's a massive rtd fan and he thinks we should treat this, these yes. these texts as serious holy books yeah what's very interesting is at the beginning of our very first episode of the podcast we had a lengthy conversation about nathan as a 15 year old and the the inclusion of a minor in this in this space in this very adult space and we sort of have gotten so used to it that we sort of we don't bring it up anymore we have become so used to it, like everyone else. 
and Cameron is the one person who's new to the scene and he is reminding us of those issues that we discussed right at the beginning um, and he is that voice of reason and rationality being like Stuart don't forget this is all your fault yes um, and you only care about a good story although to be fair to be fair Nathan's dad also says something along those lines so you know yes of course he does of course of course and then Romy calls Stuart to tell him some some big news he's like why why are you calling me can this wait and she's like no it can't wait because I'm getting married da 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 Yes, it turns out she's getting married to Lance so that he can stay in the country, despite the fact that she's lesbian. She has a she has a partner as a lesbian. That'll come up in later episodes. And Stuart is visibly upset. Also, something I've noticed that basically now in the show, so early in the series, the time time jumps were not super noticeable. You know, you'd cut to a different scene and you'd cut back and time would have passed. But now we're cutting... When Once he hears that she's getting married, we cut to him at the door. You know, we, we cut directly across that uh, that time instead of cutting to another character's story and then getting back to Stuart at Romy's door. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. I think it possibly comes out of necessity because now the series is very much about the progression of these characters and not just about what they're doing tonight or or them having sort of awkward interactions with people they'll never see again. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's all about things coming up with characters we already know and we don't really have a, you know, there's no longer, there's, a, there's no chance to cut to someone else's storyline. And sometimes it's done to, to good effect, like with Vince's awful hookup where we're, we're never, we never get to leave the apartment until the next morning, you know? No, exactly. Exactly. Another thing that I really like about this scene is you mentioned Romy's partner, and we have joked a lot in previous episodes about how the lesbians in this show are, are nowhere near as fleshed out as the gay men are. And I'm not about to sit here and say this is a moment where we get loads of fleshing out that really makes up for that. But I do enjoy the role that Romy's partner plays in this scene and the conversation she has with Cameron whilst um Stuart and Vince are finding out about uh, Romy and Lance's um, marriage and she this scene is absolute genius where she thinks that Cameron is Stuart's flavor of the week and she says oh you'll be long gone but Vince will always still be there and then it clicks with her that he's not Stuart's flavor of the week he's actually Vince's boyfriend and she just realizes yeah she has made a joke shock about how Vince is massively in love with Stuart. Ooh, yeah. Cameron's like, oh, I know. Yeah, he's like, I know, but I win. It's like, oh God, there's a story I heard of someone who was on a plane, some wife of, I don't know, some famous Italian guy or whatever, and the air hostess comes up and says, you know, he's sleeping with me. And she says, yeah, but you know, he comes back to mine every night. Mm. But... In this case, I mean, no, he's... He needs the confidence of this random Italian woman I just remembered. Relating to that story that you just told, it's who does Vince go back to? I think he goes back to Stuart more than he goes back to Cameron. Yeah. But I think we'll, 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 see, we'll see as the show progresses. Well, yeah, because Cameron is the one he's sleeping with. So, so it, naturally, that would mean that Stuart is the one he comes home to. Exactly. But Romy's partner is like, just have some Cambozola. You know, I'm sorry. 
Sorry for your troubles. Eat some cheese. A cheese board can diffuse most tensions, most tense situations. Mm. I'm not going to say all, because then some will try and find a counterexample, but I'm definitely going to say most. It's just this tiny, tiny detail of they then have like champagne or Prosecco, whatever it is, like it's an actual engagement party. And Stuart's just sort of stood there staring off into the distance holding Alfred. And it's clearly like, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm eating. I'm getting out of here. And he goes home with Alfred. Yeah, he takes Alfred home. He's babysitting Alfred. Uh, his dad shows up at his flat, so he has to say that, oh, well, this is this is Romy's baby, you know, and I'm just I'm just looking after him because of, uh, you know, cigarette smoke and all that. Yeah. Uh, the party. Exactly. Like, he can't tell his dad that he's a granddad. Like, this guy's grandpa. I mean, he was already grandpa because, like, Stuart has some, some nephews. Yeah. But, yeah, it is kind of messed up to be introduced to a baby mm. and not told you're related i re- really clocked with me even the first time i watched that Stuart is not telling them anything you know what i mean that's not happening he's not like maybe i should sit him down because he's not like well i can't tell him he's not my kid so i better sit him down and explain to him why he's my kid and why i'm not with a, the kid's mum but no, he's just like, this is not my kid. But yeah, I think he's become so used to hiding the majority of his life from his parents that he has no problem with it. Exactly. This just, it's just not his kid. I mean, he's not acting like it's his kid. So, you know, it's not his kid. We do get that, the tiny detail when Stuart takes his dad up to his flat. That his dad has never seen the place before. And he, he's like, whoa, how do you afford this? And this is the bit where you can see the vending machine in the background of the shop. When they're talking about how expensive the flat is and how... Um, Stuart's able to afford it actually quite easily. Stuart's dad reveals that the divorce comment was not a joke and that it was something that he was very seriously thinking about and Stuart shouldn't think that they were just having a, a petty argument. And Stuart is basically like, oh, I think you'd fall apart without each other. And then we sort of get this, it's this thing about fathers and sons struggling to talk to each other straight. And I sort of, it does it make sense to say that I struggled with the scene and sort of understanding exactly what they were trying to say to each other for the most part? Oh, yeah, I didn't really catch the scene either. I think in my first watch, this is where I realised that, like, okay, the divorce is off. It's not just that they're being weird about threatening a divorce, but, like, actually, like, no, the divorce is completely, like, not an option at this point. Now, they're just going to stay together. Yeah. That's just, that just is what's yeah. going to happen, you know? I'm uh, I'm not liking the amount of straight people in the show right now. <laughs> I want to get back to uh, some gay people. And so does Stuart, because he, he manages to drop off Alfred with Hazel so he can go clubbing. <laughs> can I, can I, can I, before we go, before we go oh, yes, clubbing? Of course, of course. I just couldn't resist the transition. One tiny, I respect the transition majorly, but the one, the way that scene ends before Stuart rushes off with Alfred, Stuart's dad says to him, if there's ever anything you... And then he trails off. And then Stuart says anything what? And he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. And he leaves. And they've just been talking about who Romy is. And he's like... And you can tell Stuart's dad knows that Romy isn't like a girlfriend. And there's this sort of twinkle in his eye. And I, I'm 100% sure Stuart's dad hasn't thinks that his son is gay and not telling him. Yeah. I I just I just love that moment of Stuart so reticent to talk to his parents about this and his dad 
has an inkling because everyone knows that you know parent like janice says about nathan you know parents aren't stupid for the most part they kind of know these things they always say yeah yeah i think i can't wait to discuss that idea when we do it's a sin yeah i think exactly this is a little teaser you've been you tease us it's a sin a lot but you know i can't i can't blame you it's i think that was one of the most poignant moments to me from it's a sin so when you say it now i can't not bring it up yeah exactly because also then you wonder like should someone feel guilty for not being able to tell if their kid was hiding it should they always have suspected i don't know it's so you know we can't quite talk about that now because nothing quite happens the dad says forget it yeah and then we go to your transition where um Stuart decides to go out clubbing and takes alfred to hazel's house so she can look after the other baby because hazel is our designated babysitter she doesn't do enough mothering and he goes to the club and he's dancing with Vince and we sort of get this moment where him and Vince are on the dance. I'm, I'm, I'm gesturing with my hands as if I'm demonstrating to you how this scene is working, but I realise this is a podcast, so you can't see this. Him and Vince are on the dance floor. Cameron is on the balcony above watching the two. And there's this bit where Stuart has something in his mouth. Yeah, and he gives it to Vince mouth to mouth. It's presumably drugs. Yeah. The only other thing that's going to be in your mouth is drink. And like, that's more spit in my mouth, daddy, which is, is not quite the vibe of this scene. Yeah. They're not, they're not sharing chewing gum either. You don't chew gum on the dance floor. So we all, we can all tell exactly what Cameron is thinking in that moment, watching that scene, thinking about what Romy's partner has just told him. And so he goes off to a much quieter place in the bar and just sort of sits there drinking something on the rocks, I think when Stuart arrives yeah and sits down next to him and they discuss uh Stuart's and I put an air quotes family before they discuss the family and I do think this is an important thing for Stuart's character because he says what are we going to do and you can tell that Cameron's heart starts fluttering he's like oh are we about to beef and then Stuart goes because you know Vince's birthday is coming up and then obviously there's the oh and breathe yes of course it's kind of like that's definitely on purpose yeah it's Stuart toying with Cameron and then also being able to slip into the fact that like hey it's his birthday i know when his birthday is i'm the guy i'm the i'm the guy in his life who plans his birthday party yes exactly although he's sort of offering to share that responsibility with cameron but still it's still a power play well yeah exactly yeah in the episode after this not a major spoiler but you know but but the party is at stewart's flat because come on it's a massive flat yes yes exactly and Cameron's response to Vince's birthday is to say, it depends if I'm still here, which is Cameron is still, his guard is very much up and he's very pointed with Stuart. And so what does he say to Stuart? Louis, take it away. Stuart sort of surrounds himself with all these people so that he can have a sort of a bit of a, a weird family. Cameron calls it a make-believe family. He says, you've got a, you've got a make-believe family and you even had a baby to finish it off. And what's really interesting about this to me is... We spend so much now, so much time now in the 21st century talking about queer found families and how queer people are like are drawn to each other and we sort of build our own found families. And then Cameron is like, but it's not the version that Stuart has isn't real because it's so sex dependent and all Stuart cares about is sex rather than um, familial bonds. Familial bonds, exactly. It is a sort of version of that. And I don't know if this scene would play out differently when found families were more talked about. You know, they get brought up in big boys mm. to, to link back to that. Mm. But I think it could still definitely play out because, you know, if this was made 25 years later, 
Cameron would still be saying that, you know, all your connections to people are based around sex. And if, you know, they stop being sexy, then they stop being useful to you. So so Cameron basically says that um, Vince is just waiting for Stuart to turn around and fuck him. And Cameron is basically like, you need to leave Vince alone, Stuart, um, because Vince doesn't have an existence on his own. But Cameron really likes Vincent for who he is. Yeah. And he wants to have Vince Vince and not Stuart's Vince. Exactly. And he walks away and the camera just sort of, there's not a freeze frame as such, but the camera just lingers on Stuart as he just stares and thinks. And I, I had no idea how to describe his facial expression. He sort of, he looks slightly confused, but then pensive. Yeah. Um, well, the freeze frame indicates sex. Yes. So, you know, yes. there's no freeze yes. framing today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that a thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like freeze frame. Yo, does anyone want to freeze frame Zach? You know, that's what I'm gonna, <laughs> ask, that's what I'm gonna ask on a Twitter poll. You know, just... When we get Twitter, um, yeah, and also when we show our faces because we haven't really done that yet. The one note I have at the very, very end of this, my notes for this episode in bold is this is really good drama. This is the point in the series where I am like, I, I am, I cannot wait to watch episode seven. I want to know what is going to happen between Vince, Stewart, Cameron, what's going on with Nathan, what's going to happen. I'm so invested. This is like generally just such brilliant character drama at the moment. I know, right? We're on the edge of our seats and we hope that you're on the edge of your headphones and that you'll listen to us next week because that does bring us to the end of the episode, you know. And next week, it's it's the party. It's the party episode. I can't wait. We're gonna. I'll, put, I'll wear a party hat for the recording. Not that anyone will see it. No. And also, will that fit on top of your headphones? As... I'm sure it will. Maybe. I don't know. Do it like right of the back, like yeah, exactly, like a cartoon exactly. character. Exactly. You know what? I, what you, but you know what's actually going to happen there is I'm not going to wear a party hat. I will just say that I'm wearing it, and no one will be able to challenge me on it because they can't see it. We're, we're not. We're not a visualized podcast yet. No. So, yeah, so thank you, Zach, for joining me today uh, on another episode of Davis on Davis. If you want to follow us, you can on Instagram, davis.on.davis. Also, I realized that because we've been making little videos to promote our stuff, we should probably get a TikTok. So that'll probably be something like Davis on Davis. Yeah, it's, you can tell it's our first podcast. We we, we haven't the, the, the social media strategy we didn't even think about tiktok come on when you're listening to the podcast you're like the quality of this podcast is so high these guys must have made so many before and then you get to the end and realize that we are floundering we are fighting for our lives and also if you want to follow me then on instagram i'm louis on air and on twitter i'm louis on the air and Zach, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, yes, I'm currently um, working really hard on this like major project and I'm trying to campaign Pixar to make a sequel to their 2008 film about, remember that that little that science fiction film about that little robot that is sort of trying to like fix the world's pollution so the humans come back and colonize, and not colonize, but like come back and live on Earth. Um, so you can follow us on all social platforms at Where's Wally. Nice, nice. And uh, finally, remember to always practice freeze framing safely. Uh, don't do it in the road because, you know, the cars might not freeze frame. <laughs> so. Right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.